Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, who's not quite here yet. She'll be here shortly, Janet and our producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio. You do not want to miss out on this entire episode. We have David Balot. He is from Texas, and he is a former hospital administrator. Now he is a healthcare policymaker way down in Texas, and he's going to tell us a little bit of his story. He ran for Congress, Congress position two uh, in Texas, and he lost to Dan Crenshaw. So if you guys know Dan Crenshaw, uh, you know why he lost, because Dan Crenshaw is in office, and he's a pretty big guy. So... Um, David is going to tell us about his experience as a hospital administrator and about how healthcare policy can change and what we should do to make it optimal patient-doctor relationship. So, David, without further ado, welcome to our show. Hey, thank you for having me, and I uh, look forward to, to meeting the real star of the show, and there she is. Yeah, there she is. That She's the real star, believe me. Uh, well, as far as is, is my background, you know, I, I'm I grew up in healthcare. I really, my first job was at the age of 15, worked in uh, medical records, and then every summer worked in just about every department of a hospital that you that existed at that time. That's when records were still paper. Um, and then uh, through college, worked my way through the emergency room and, and had a lot of hands-on uh, patient, uh, uh, patient care type of experiences, which I love and I still think back towards today. But you know, my skill set led me to uh, more of the administrative side. So I ended up in, in the C-suite uh, for my career. I was a hospital executive and, and, uh, and CEO for nearly 20 years and did a lot of turnarounds of uh, financially distressed hospitals in rural areas, community hospitals, county hospitals, uh, physician-owned hospitals, you name it. So uh, I really love that because I got to partner with the people that make it happen, who are the, the doctors and the pharmacists and the nurses and, and uh, work with them to take good care of our patients. Well, it seems like right now there doesn't seem to be a very good relationship between doctors and hospital administrators. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, or most, clear that most up, maybe. Uh, well, I, most administrators don't like doctors. Uh, uh, I'm being real honest, and it's, it's from my own personal conversations with many of them. That's not true um, across the board, but they, you know, the hospitals and hospital administrators like to see themselves as the center of uh, the healthcare universe, and, and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm very blessed because early on in my career as a young administrator, I had a urologist, uh, a friend of mine, a physician. He was, he was a, a big admitter to the hospital. He took me aside and he said, David, let me tell you something. He said, nothing happens in a hospital except for at the tip of a doctor's pen. And that was an important lesson to learn because without the medical professionals, you know, there's nothing that I could do as a hospital administrator. I can uh, build buildings, buy equipment, hire staff to support those folks and take care of patients. But uh, really the, the, the real magic happens between those that are uh, trained and licensed and, and those that are in need of care. So you facilitate that making, uh, you facilitate that relationship, that doctor patient relationship is preeminent in healthcare. And it's, it's lost, um, it's lost its focus amongst a lot of folks that uh, do what I used to do. Yeah, that is for sure. Jan, do you have any comments on that? Well, I, I'm just interested to, to see what your thoughts are as why we've came so far away from um, that involvement with our physicians and doctors, because, you know, it wasn't quite that way when I was growing up and, you know, Sean and I are not that old. And so what, what's, what's the pinnacle point that this turned? No, no. Not. <laughs> so where, where did this, when did this transition happen? You know, it just, a lot of folks are empire builders. There, there's a lot of money at stake. Um, and, and, and that uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's difficult. Let me step back and say this. It's hard being a hospital administrator because you are dealing with a lot of personalities. And I remember even uh, 20 years ago, uh, some, some administrators would say, I, I look forward to the day when, when uh, we can treat doctors like engineers and cubicleize them, uh, where there's just a matter of control. And, and they've effectively gotten closer to that over that time period. Right. I but, think it's happened. <laughs> yeah, no, it, and, and it needs to get reversed. Absolutely. It, all, it, all it's done is hurt patients. Absolutely. So we need we need to change things to where uh, that's just not the case anymore. But 
It's just a matter of control. It's hard work. Uh, maybe that's that's the bottom line. It is very difficult um, to manage all those personalities and manage the expectations and and get get the job done. But you know, um, that's what happens when when you sign up for that job. You put in the work so that you can accomplish what needs to be done for the patients and the community. Right now, you mentioned um, pre-show that you got out of healthcare administration because you felt you were hurting patients. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, you know, uh, well, I, I had the opportunity to do so after uh, after uh, my loss in the primary to get back into the hospitals. But I had just spent the last year telling people how how terrible uh, healthcare was, and uh, and I wasn't exaggerating. It's 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 bad. It's not the industry I got into because I did feel that I, I would go in, I'd fix these hospitals, we'd go in as a team, and we'd we'd, we'd do some great work. And we would do some good things in terms of, of creating a, a, uh, a great environment for safe, quality healthcare being delivered by, by hospitals to patients. But then, you know, the kinds of bills uh, and charges that, that would be sent to these patients, um, the kinds of billings that, that we would be responsible for. And I took part in that because I was a fiduciary. It was part of my job. Uh, it, it, you know, you'd see these patients back in the ER because of the financial stress that we would create in their lives. Uh, and, and sometimes that uh, health devastation uh, is, is worse than what they came to us in, in the first place for. Um, and so that's, that's just not what I got into healthcare for. I got into it to take care of patients. I've always been very patient centric. And so it didn't make any sense to, to go into uh, a situation where I was creating more harm than good in some cases. I won't say that that was the case across the board, but uh, there needed to be a change. And that's why I, I ran for office. And that's why I uh, left uh, the hospital business altogether so that uh, I could be a part of the solution. I just didn't know what it was at that time. But I then um, just self-funded my own uh, campaign for healthcare reform and ended up uh, doing some, some cool things uh, that I'm doing now. So tell us, what are those cool things? Well, I I, I got to be a part of a large coalition called Free to Care. Uh, it's patient advocacy groups and physician advocacy groups. It's grown in the last two and a half years to be uh, 30 member organizations uh, representing over 8 million people nationally, including 70,000 physicians, uh, which, you know, the goal is to exceed the, uh, the membership of the AMA because we all know that they don't really represent doctors. No. Uh, and then uh, my, 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 my full-time job um, is uh, director of health, right on healthcare with the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and I work at the, the state level here in Texas as well as the federal level in DC, and with uh, in partnership with a number of other states around the country. So, isn't free to care? Isn't that the one with Dr. Marion Moss? Yeah, yeah. Marion is is one of our, uh, our our very vocal advocates, and she does a fantastic job. Yeah, we have definitely interviewed her before, and oh, I, great, I yeah. yeah, she's she's definitely an advocate for physician-led care for sure. Yeah, yeah we're, we're thankful to have her, and we've got quite a few of those. But uh, she is, and she is just uh, there's no there's no stopping her. If you've already interviewed her, you know uh, the the level of energy is just uh, amazingly high. I wish I had it. Absolutely. So we're gonna looks like that's their that's their website right there. Is that correct? Yeah. It is. That's that's the free to care website. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's a great organization. I know Dr. Mary Thank Moss you. has talked about it before. So, so healthcare policy. So yes. you talk about all these problems that are in healthcare. So what is the fix? I'm assuming that, you know, I mean, the federal government seems to think the fix is Medicare for all. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, the fix is getting government out of healthcare altogether. Uh, we have a lot of problems that have been generated by by the government. So uh, Medicare for all, the ACA, um, you look at what has been, what was the number one uh, uh, discussion before every election, the last two elections? It's been about pre-existing conditions, right? Well, would, would you or your audience be surprised if I told you that our government created this, this issue of pre-existing conditions? This problem, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but elaborate, please. This, this problem is uniquely American. Uh, in, in, in the mid-40s, uh, we tied uh, health benefits to our employment. Oh. And, and back in those days, uh, you know, if you got a job, you usually retired from that job. 
But we currently live in an environment where that's just not the case anymore. We have we have the gig economy and people are go from here to there. I mean, look at me, for instance. I, it's 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 rare that I'm somewhere for two years. Uh, so that would be uh, that that's created that problem. So what we need to do is we need to get away from employer based health care so that when we have a policy, that policy belongs to us and it goes where we go. And so if we lose this job, no issue of pre-existing conditions going over here because we've lost our policy. So there are some things that we can do. We can get back to uh, working with, with state governments. I don't think that the federal government's going to give us any solutions because uh, it's relatively impossible to get them to do anything at this point. So working at the state I level. Don't know. Let's back up effective. on that. They're pretty good at taking my taxes. Yeah, but other than that, they, they don't even do that. That's the IRS. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Although yeah. you could argue they're really good at printing money. I mean, keep the printing oh, presses moving. Gosh. Print they're good at spending money. Let's, let's <laughs> spending say that. They're money. great at spending money, <laughs> money that uh, they don't even have. Right, right. But, um, yeah, don't get me started. I know, right? <laughs> but like, you're working at the state level. There are options that, that we can look at that uh, – will allow more flexibility in the kinds of benefits that can be offered so that people can have affordable coverage and have affordable care. These are the things that we need to focus on, not necessarily just having an insurance card. I think right now, you know, I talked about the hospital people thinking hospital is the center of the universe. Everybody else thinks that insurance is the center of the, the healthcare universe. Mm -hmm. And that's just been detrimental uh, to the nth degree for what, what it is. If you hear a politician say the word healthcare. I want you and your audience to have something trigger when when you hear that. I want you to immediately think they're talking about health insurance. They're not talking about healthcare. So that being the case, Obamacare was not healthcare reform. It was health insurance reform. And we need to get away from uh, the idea of coverage being care and, well, and separate like, the two altogether. And like Dr. Moss says, coverage is not equal care. It does not. And in fact, huh. you know, my, in one of my interns made a. Oh, cool. A for me, so <laughs> I say well, it and, that and in fact, in fact, you could argue, especially a government policy, which here's my opinion, David, any insurance anymore, traditional healthcare insurance is there's no such thing as private insurance. I don't care if it's Blue Cross Blue Shield of Washington, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota, or whatever the blues are, whatever. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing as private insurance anymore because it is so heavily regulated by the federal government. It's all government insurance. So people are told what to buy at what price, what to right. cover at what price. And so you could argue that actually having healthcare insurance, traditional healthcare insurance, actually is a barrier to care. And if you don't believe that, how many people do, don't get procedures because they're not covered or they got to get prioritization and, um, and it takes months. Whereas if you have a free market, you can get in today. That's right. Interesting. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to, first of all, I got to say, David, you are preaching the choir, buddy. So let's, That's let's not go always back. The case in my <laughs> let's go back to the 1940s and let's remind people how the government caused that problem. Yeah is our wonderful president at the time, FDR, who's considered one of the best presidents ever. I considered him one of the worst presidents ever because he his policies affected this country for years and years and years. In fact, still today, you know, we look at Social Security. That was his policy. That was his, you know, socialism policy that is affecting us today, and it is broke. Let's face it. So he, during the war, during World War II, thought that it was a good idea to put a, a price cap on wages. So he did a wage freeze. Right. So General Motors and Ford were actually very, very busy building tanks and planes and cars and everything for the war effort, but they couldn't increase wages to entice employees to come to them. So That's what right. did they do? They offered hospital insurance. And fast forward 70 years later, and we have what we call health insurance, which is covers more than just hospitals. It will cover your stub toe and massages and everything under the sun. When in fact, that wasn't really exactly how it began. And that's why it's so expensive. And, um, you know, it decreases access and decreases quality. So I wrote a book on this subject, David, and I will send you a copy. It's called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. 
And I'm going to let you keep going through your journey about how the government continued to ruin healthcare. I imagine the next step is Medicare and the Medicare Act in 1964, right? <laughs> well, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, the HMO Act of uh, 1972. That's right. Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, HIPAA, high tech, ACA, you name it. You know, and it's not just it's not just the left. It's not just, you know, Democrats for those that are that are conservatives. Every single president, regardless of political affiliation, has put their fingerprints on the healthcare industry and it's been to our detriment. Uh, and and so you know, my position as is yours is that the federal government needs to get out and they need to extricate themselves from uh, from from healthcare. If you look at this there's a great graph from AEI. It's a think tank out of DC, and they show uh, various industries or services and how they have uh, gone up or gone down in price uh, and in tracking with with inflation. You know, televisions have gone down, uh, cell phones have gone down in price, cars have tracked about with inflation, but you get to college tuition, textbooks, uh, medical services, and the number one that's just an exponential curve is hospital services. Uh, it's gone. Nothing. It's done nothing but go up. Why? And if you look at all of the ones that have gone up, those are the ones that are most tidally with government uh, interventions, yes, where, where the government has 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 created models where they are making payments, like for tuition mm-hmm. and creating loans. What does that do? Well, people see a big uh, a big store of cash, and they're going to increase their prices because they know the government is going to come in and pay. That's exactly what's happened in healthcare as well. And so uh, they, they have been uh, the predominant problem. And, and, you know, we complain about the insurance companies and the PBMs and, uh, and, and uh, the GPOs and you name it. There, there are a number of middlemen and, and, you know, they do contribute to the problem. But how did they get there? They've been given the license by the federal government. Correct, correct. If, if in a true free market, those places wouldn't exist. Nor should they, yeah. Because no, no, my, they, my goodness, look at what we do uh, on a daily basis with our services and our goods from, from Amazon. How much easier would it be that, uh, for us to get those kinds of things from, uh, from an Amazon type of company without the, the administrative burden and miring uh, that comes from all these middlemen that really extract a lot of value and money needlessly? Yeah, absolutely. Janet, you have a comment? I do. I, you know, I want to speak out to providers, especially doctors and, and um, other healthcare providers that, you know, Sean and I gave up um, working with insurance companies and we offer cash prices for our products. And not only has it been better for um, our clients and patients, but our attitude at work. I mean, we're not burnt out. We're excited about coming back to work. And so I feel like we took back our profession just at our local level at our, you know, and so um, I guess I'm throwing out encouragement because as we're looking at the direct primary care physicians and doctors out there, you know, they're taking back their profession and how they treat their patients. And I have a statement to our clients quite often. Standard of care does not equal quality of care. What we see sometimes as a standard of care for a treatment may not be the best one out there. And you might be in a big clinic where they are throwing you to their providers and not the best provider that can help you. So, you know, I I encourage you to step out of the box and realize that there is other ways of practicing and it's catching on and it is, it is totally liberating. We can't tell you the difference it made in our lives of running a business, dealing with our employees and our patients. It's, it's, I, I can't even describe how good it feels. And, and let me share with you just a quick story. It's not just the DPC, but like you all, uh, th- this can be something that pharmacies can do. This is something that Absolutely. labs can do, hospitals, surgery centers. Yep. We know the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, the Texas Surgery Center. Uh, on, uh, you know, we have a, a, a private Facebook group, but anybody's welcome to join. We have people on the left and the right and everybody in between, but it's the right on healthcare uh, Facebook group. And people will come on there. We have a lot of physicians, a lot of patients. And I had a couple, uh, an, an elderly couple that was on Medicare and her, she was telling a story about her husband, how her husband needed to be on a chemotherapy drug. And even 
on Medicare, I think it was Medicare, uh, the Medicare, Medicare managed care groups, the drug on a monthly basis was $500, which to their, on their fixed income was significant. That was their copay. And so we have a tool that uh, we offer. It's called our shopping list at texaspolicy.com. And we, we were able to identify uh, an organization that, that is a pharmacy, is an online pharmacy that offers uh, generic drugs. And they were able to get the same drug, the generic drug, for $50 a month, a 90% savings. It was life-changing for them, especially with a group that's on a fixed income. So that's the kind of stuff that, that, that we can find, especially with, with a transparent market. And people say all the time, David, what, what's it going to take for healthcare to be affordable? And usually my response is a little bit controversial. I'll say, it's already affordable. You just need to know where to look. That's, that's right. That is true. Right. And, you know, David, I mean, to, to most patients' defense or people searching out healthcare, they don't know what we know. I mean, Janet and I take these things for granted because we just know how to find these things. So if we want to find an MRI for 400 bucks, we can find one. Yeah. If we want to find a colonoscopy for $1,000 – everything inclusive, we can find one. Right. Um, most patients don't know any better. So, you know, they look to their insurance company to, to tell them where to go for colonoscopy and the bill is $10,000 and their copay is only $2,000. Right. 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 And, so, I'll, and I'll tell you, you know, we, we, I go back to our previous conversation about uh, administrators and, and, and the control of, of the physicians. The reason why, you know, uh, it used to be 30% of physicians were employed by hospitals. Now it's closer to 70% of doctors are employed by hospitals. When you go to your doctor, the doctor's not going to give you, uh, he, you know, they're going to get uh, a lot of pushback from their employers that cut their checks if they send them outside of the hospital system. When keeping you inside of the hospital system is going to extra just ex uh, radically increase the cost of the care that you're going to be getting. Because some of the most expensive words in healthcare is, go get this test down the hall. <laughs> right, oh, yeah. right, right. David, could you remind us what that Facebook, uh, the one that the private group is yeah, again? Right, right on healthcare. That's the name of our, our policy area here uh, at the Texas Public Policy. Right Department. on healthcare. Okay. Right, right on healthcare. And so, David, when you say you want to get the federal government out, this is when, let me back up a little bit. When you say that the left and the right are guilty, I think I'm speaking for Janet here, but I agree 100%. Um, Anytime I want to start talking to, to a conservative about um, health care, and I, and I ask them, I say, so do you think that Medicare is the problem? And the first thing the conservatives will do is they'll say, oh, no, we need, we need Medicare. We need to keep Medicare. It's a good program. And they do that because they know it buys votes. And that's one of the reasons a lot of conservatives will not come on my show because I will question them that. I will question mm -hmm. them about that. And they do not. They know that they are throwing themselves under the bus for their next election when they mm -hmm. said that we should get rid of Medicare and Medicaid. So let's go you. Should we get rid of Medicare and Medicaid? Well, thankfully, I'm not running for election. So I, I <laughs> uh, <clears throat> should we get rid of it? Um, it's, it's not, it's not the best program. Um, is it going to be, is it going to, are we going to ever get rid of it? No, we're not. It's, it's here to stay. Uh, can we materially change it where we put the patient and the doctor in charge? Absolutely. And let me tell you a story because I was in DC, uh, talking with, uh, with the folks in charge. And I said, look, rather than, than giving the money to the insurer, let's give it to the patient and let them shop. They can do a better job. And you know what the pushback was? They didn't know how they were going to get the information. It was all about the record. It was about the data. They said, if we give the money to the patient and they give the money to the provider, or to the physician or to whoever it is, and they don't have to submit a claim to Medicare, they would lose out on that data. And to them, that is the most important thing. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer that we should completely get rid of Medicare and Medicaid, and I'll talk to you about how I think we could do that, actually. Um, but when we, you know, when you think about um, the indigent population, we don't buy their individual food for them. We give them money for their food. So why should healthcare be different? It really should throw a red flag up when you yeah. think that it is different because you realize there's a whole bunch of people in that in that circle that are benefiting, including hospitals. Think about it. If you give the patient the money to go buy food, yep. in general, most of the people at the grocery store are paying 
cash. So <laughs> the prices are based on that. Think about well, that at a hospital. Well, and they, they know when they people don't have to shop around. They give them that magic, that magic government card, and the hospital can charge whatever they want. That's right, and nobody sees what the prices are. But you know, it, and, and I'm glad you bring that up because we had a bill that that uh, we were trying to get across the finish line here in Texas, and it's just not it's it's not getting a lot of traction. It's probably not going to go anywhere because the Biden administration has signaled that they would not authorize a waiver. Um, to allow it to happen because it was a direct primary care in Medicaid. Um, and the idea was to give the Medicaid patient the money so that they could pay for the subscription in direct primary care. And you should have heard the, the outcry from the insurance uh, companies because oh, yeah. we, it wasn't going to be any extra money. It was going to be a carve out from what they already get. And so they said, no, well, we can't do that. And plus DPCs cherry pick and they do, you know, they're terrible and we do DPC better, which they don't clearly don't know what it means. Uh, but it, it was, um, it was comical because I used the example that you talked about. We don't give the money directly to the grocery store. Yet we have a food stamp program where we're giving the money to the individual to allow them to make the choice and they can go shopping where they want, or wherever those, you know, those, you know, the, those that offer the services or want to work with, um, the state uh, government will take the money in exchange for those those goods. Why can't that be the case in healthcare at both the state and the federal level with both Medicare and Medicaid? Right. I mean, I think I think we already answered the question. It's because yeah. the hospital, the hospitals, and the insurance companies, whether it be Medicare and Medicaid or whatever insurance is involved with that transaction, they have created cartels literally, and they are making billions, billions off of it. Oh yeah. At the yeah. expense of patients. So here's here's my here's one of the you you kind of alluded to it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Is that when you tried to make that policy with Medicaid, the federal government, you know, said, Oh no, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. See, I think that's part of the problem, David, is that Medicaid, if some people don't realize it, Medicaid is at least dependent is at least fifty percent federally funded. So 60. Yeah. And so if it's fairly funded, then that means there's government strings attached. So That's right. I think one of the things that should happen, and I think Texas is the perfect state to do it. It says, you know what? You know what, Medicaid? You know what, federal government Medicaid dollars? We don't want it. Uh, we don't want your federal dollars. We're going to run our we're going to run our healthcare system the way we want to run our healthcare system. We don't need your gun. We don't need your strings attached. And then the government, the federal government will say, well, we'll pull your national highway funds. And then the state of Texas should say, go ahead. We'll build our own highways. I really want that to happen. That's exactly what needs to happen. And Texas is the perfect state for it to happen because you guys have a big economy. You guys have your, your own ports. You guys could really do that. And a lot of states could maybe follow. What are your thoughts? Yeah. No, and, and that's actually been a discussion. Uh, but like I said earlier, uh, the political will just isn't there because you, you can only imagine uh, the fight that we're having right now for not taking, uh, for not expanding Medicaid. You know, we're one of the 12 states that, that have not expanded Medicaid. And, uh, you know, initially people would say, well, why do you want to harm patients? This is terrible. You should have Medicaid for those that need it. And through our research, we've been able to show that, look, guys, you're, you're not providing the best care to these people who are the most vulnerable. Uh, when you expand Medicaid, you're driving people to the ER. That's not great care. The, the mortality gets worse when in states that have expanded Medicaid. So what did they do? Their, their argument changed. They'll say, okay, well, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll grant you that, that those things are true. We're leaving anywhere from five to $9 billion uh, that, that is on the table for us to, uh, to take from the federal government. You know, my response is, well, you've just told me how much the vulnerable are worth to you. You've put a price on their head. That, that's right. And, and that, that, is, that is true, um, that there is a price. And, and the federal government does know that. And that's one of the problems when we let the federal government be in charge is that they decide that price. Whereas in a free market, the free market would decide that price. And I don't think a lot of people realize, but the government has to ration that based on finances, based on price, period. Right. No, and I, and I agree with you, but I'll tell you what's going to need to happen, what needs to happen. In addition to all the good things that we're trying to accomplish, people have become complacent. People don't really uh, 
invest in their knowledge of how to get things done or what healthcare really means or having a primary care physician that they develop a relationship with or getting an independent pharmacist that they have a relationship with. If you can do that and create a team, then your life can be so much better when, when, when you really need them. Uh, but it's important to have that team even when things are good uh, so they can guide you and, 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 and help you through this very complex industry. Well, and realize this too, is that I, I think, you know, like you say, when we say the term healthcare anymore, you kind of wonder what pictures come into people's minds. But, you know, traditionally, you know, health, traditionally our healthcare system is a sick care system. It is. Yes, that's correct. You know, and, and in reality, it, it makes money on keeping people diabetic, on keeping people with high blood pressure, on making sure that their high cholesterol doesn't go away. Let's not talk to them about being proactive in their in their lifestyle, their diet, their exercise, their sleep habits. Let's not talk to them about that because then they wouldn't need a doctor except when they broke their leg or wrecked their car or something. And you know, those are just facts. And I think in my book, I have a six-step solution, sickened, how the government ruined healthcare and how to fix it. And in yeah. chapter six, the first one is to be proactive in your own health. That's right. We need to educate people how important that is. There is no doctor, no pharmacist that is invested as much or health insurance company that is invested in your health as much as you are. So it's important to educate and empower consumers that they are in charge of their own health. And you know what? The best health insurance we have is not some policy that we can buy. It's how we take care of ourselves. Oh, there's, there's no question about that. There's no question about that. And, and if, I can, if I can tell just a quick story, I don't know how much time. Please. Yeah, please. But, but I'd love to share a story that's it's very personal to me because it's about me. Uh, I, I had uh, a situation where uh, I was uh, you know, feeling some, some pain in, in my upper arm area. And I thought, well, that's not great. Uh, so I called my direct primary care physician and he had me take my, my blood pressure. And, uh, you know, after some conversation, he said, David, I really think you should go to the emergency room. And this was on a Saturday. So he and I are having this discussion and he said, well, let me know where you're going. And when you pull into the parking lot, get me all the information. So my wife is taking me, we get there, we park. Um, I text him, I'm here. By the time I'm inside and they're wheeling me to the back, uh, I hear that the ER doctor is on the phone with my DPC doctor and the ER doctor comes in and says, I've just spoken with your physician and we've, uh, we've developed a plan for you. He's told me your history. I didn't have to tell him all of that. And uh, for the next six hours, we're, we're uh, going back and forth. And anytime there was something new that came up, he'd get back on the phone with my doctor and they would develop a plan that would be updated. Uh, it made me feel good. Yeah. Not have not knowing, you know, anything. I'm not a clinical expert. I don't pretend to be. But I had somebody that was in my corner that I knew that was there with me all along the way. And that that is uh, worth more than you can imagine. Uh, just to, to end the story, as I was leaving, I said, um, and they wanted me to pay, of course, imagine that. Uh, and I don't have I don't have insurance. I, I use a cost sharing organization. Uh, even though I'm offered insurance yes. with my employer. Me too. And uh, I go out there and I said, you know, if I had insurance, what would my bill be? Let's just say I had Blue Cross and she'd look at it and she'd say, well, it would be $1,850 would be your portion. And I said, oh, it's a good thing I'm uninsured because you're technically uninsured when, you, when you're when you part of a, a cost sharing organization. She except, said, oh. in, except in Washington State. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. They made a bill to protect to protect the the hospital so they could keep charging what they wanted. They can't give you a discount when you have a health sharing ministry. So next time I go to the hospital, I'm going to tell them I'm uninsured. Yeah. Well, I'm, and, and I, I am uninsured and that's not, that's not telling right. anybody. And, 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 and honest, right. And honestly, David, it's none of their business. It's none of their business how we pay the bill. That's it's exactly right. Business but, whatsoever. Here's, but here's the thing, Sean, uh, guess how much uh, my rate was for being uninsured. Well, first of all, it sounds like hospitals are a lot cheaper in Texas than they are in Washington State because yeah. you said that your portion would be a thousand bucks. So I'm assuming that it would have been. It was eighteen you know, eighteen fifty. It was what? Eighteen fifty, nearly two thousand. Oh, would be your portion. My portion. Okay, that means the bill was ten thousand dollars. I'm guessing cash. You paid twelve hundred. 
750. 750. <laughs> you know what? Half. I should have known that because it's about, well, yeah, it's about 10 to one. If you look at the cost of the Oklahoma, the surgery center of Oklahoma versus a traditional hospital, it's about eight to 10 to one. Yeah. I mean, complete, oh. complete ripoff. First of all, David, I'm glad you shared that story. I'm glad you have a DPC physician. The and physician patient relationship is so important. I think one of the only ways you get that nowadays is not through corporate healthcare. You know, not through big, big, huge companies. You need an independent physician like a DPC that they can sit there and they can advocate for you. That is awesome that that happened. And you ended up saving lots of time, lots of money. Lots of money. And you got to decide what your treatment was. Some insurance company didn't. That's right. That's right. right. There was a lot of freedom there. Yeah, and liberty. Yeah. And yeah. one of the fixes in my book, one of the six-step solutions is – Health sharing ministries. I don't believe health insurance in general is a fix at all because the federal government has their pockets too deep in it. I believe a health sharing ministry and they're for, they're affordable and we get to decide where we go to the doctor and how much we pay. We get to do that. It's it's it, They're yeah. amazing. They're really how insurance should work. And people always say, oh, what if you have a heart attack? What if you have cancer? Of course, you know, David, it's fine. It, gets, it gets covered. It's fine, and, yeah. pro and probably just like your story, you had a emergency in the ER and yes, that was covered and it was cheaper than, than what it would have been through, through traditional health insurance. So absolutely. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Let me just, I'll tell you another quick story. Please. In the, in the, the sharing ministries, that's always a, an issue that's, that's, that's brought to the attention. The insurance companies hate those guys and they'll say, well, you know, that's, that's, that's a, that's a scheme and a fraud because there are no patient protections. And in fact, I was uh, advocating for, for one of these bills that, that uh, uh, was, was trying to get across the finish line uh, a model very similar to those sharing ministries and the cost-sharing organizations. And I reached out to, um, uh, to the staff of, of one of our senators here in the state, and he said, yeah, well, my concern is that there are no patient protections. And I said, let me ask you a question. You're in favor of, of a bill that is going after insurance because of prior authorization and non-medical switching and step therapy and copay accumulators. He's like, yeah, those are great bills. I said, I agree with you. Do you think that we would be spending the time that we're spending trying to, to advocate for those bills if there were already patient protections under the traditional insurance model? And his response was, he laughed and he said, well, that's a valid point. Right. Right. And here's the, here's the thing. And you know, being a healthcare provider, fortunately, it's been years ago that I've worked with insurance companies, but I've worked with insurance companies before. I still talk to patients about it where, you know, these laws where these insurance companies are supposedly protect the patient and they have to cover things. They don't I don't I don't trust that one bit at all. I mean, you you still look that there are so many things that are rejected and patients end up going bankrupt because their insurance didn't cover something. I would trust a health sharing program way before I would trust a health insurance company. Why is that? Because with a health insurance, with a health sharing program, people have to choose. It's a free market. Mm -hmm. People choose whether they go to Liberty, whether they go to Christian Ministries, whether they go to MediShare. People choose that. Yeah. People don't largely choose their health insurance company. It's kind of a monopoly. Their employer does it or the government does it for them. So service can suck. It doesn't right. matter, right? And, and price know, can be high. It doesn't matter. It's not a free market. It's not. And, and you talked about medical bankruptcies. It, it, your audience might be surprised to know it's not the uninsured that's going bankrupt. The majority of people who are going bankrupt because of medical expenses are people that have insurance. Yep. There's no uh, protection. And, and both uh, folks on the right and the left have acknowledged that. Uh, the group that is going uh, all in on Medicare for all have said that ACA has not prevented this. Because yeah. so what if you've got um, an ACA plan that's $10 or less, and, and a lot of times it's, it's free to the member, uh, you know, if you've got a five or $6,000 deductible, it may as, well, may as well be monopoly money because most Americans don't have $1,000 in their bank account. Right. But if you can right. get, you know, my, the, equivalent, my, uh, the equivalent of what a, a deductible would be, I think mine is closer to $1,500. Uh, which Jan is something I, that is manageable. Yeah, Jan and I picked um, Christian Ministries, uh, Christian Healthcare for a reason because they have a bronze plan, which is you know a five thousand dollar deductible. It's not really a deductible because it's not right. insurance, 
But um, we picked that because we have access to healthcare. You know, we, we know a lot of people. We have access to healthcare. So we just want the major thing covered. That's the beauty of a free market. We can decide what our risk is, what we want to take a risk as. Whereas in traditional insurance, you can't decide that. So, um, you know, and we've had we've had claims. My son broke, broke his leg, shattered his leg last year, last, last May. And it was a disaster at the hospital and the billing issue and all that. But the reality of it is here's the cool part. I did negotiate a discount with the hospital. Thank you for, for that. I'm glad they did do that. It was like pulling teeth for sure. It took months and months and months. The yeah. average Joe, I got to tell you, I know how to navigate the system and I'm not afraid to stand up. The average sure. Joe, they, they would have paid tenfold what they should have. And here's the thing, Christian Christian Healthcare, I negotiated a $9,000 discount. Mm -hmm. Christian Healthcare waived my $5,000 deductible. <laughs> so in theory, it ended up costing me nothing. Now, I don't like saying that because I put a lot of work into it for that, right. but it's because I had skin in the game. That's one of the things. If people don't have skin in the game, if something's going to be free to them, like Medicare or Medicaid, it's never going to be good quality. It's never going to be good service, and it's always going to be high price. Right. Unless you're going to put the time and energy into learning and advocating for yourself, I think you're 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 abdicating your your uh, your right to complain about it. True. And and here's one of the things about that, David, is that unfortunately, when the government takes over anything, whether it be our healthcare system, whether it be our government schools, I don't call them public schools. Let's call them what they are. They're government schools. They're not public schools. In a public place, you decide where you can go. The government tells you where you go based on where you live in a public school. So it's actually a government school. And that's one of the reasons is the price is high, the service sucks, the quality sucks. Nothing personal. I'm saying just overall. It's kind of like healthcare when the government's involved. So, but here's the thing is that if the government is 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 taken out of that equation, then you have a free market and people can make their own decisions and everything gets better. So, so I got a comment. I got, I want, so you said there's no way to get rid of Medicare and Medicaid. And I say in my book, I actually have a special chapter on it. Chapter seven. It's not part of the fix, but it really is part of the fix, but I didn't put it in the six step solution because it is a very difficult one. Here's the first one I say that the states have to do. Opt out of the Affordable Care Act. The states can do that. Mm -hmm. Opt out of that. And the state, that's probably the first step. And then the second step is, and I've never, I've never had a congressman answer this question for me. But they say, oh, no, Social Security is here to stay. Uh, Medicare is here to stay. And I say, well, they're unconstitutional. Show me in the Constitution where the federal government should be involved in these programs. And they can't, of course. Yeah, no. Now, Article, of course, one, Article one, section eight. There's nothing right, right. It is if it's not explicitly expressed, then the Congress, right. Congress can't do it. Now they it's always true. go to the general welfare clause. <laughs> you know, general welfare of the people. Here's what I got to say: stealing from me or anybody to give to who they see fit is not in the general welfare of people. No, that's my opinion. So, but here's I love that we have an example of prohibition in this country, prohibition of alcohol, because this is what I take them back to. I said, well, guess what? I bet you the same thing happened back in the 1920s when alcohol was, was prohibited. Mm -hmm. I bet you there were congressmen saying the same thing that, oh, it's here to stay. You know, we can't stop it. And we did a constitutional amendment to stop, to, to stop it. So why can't we do the same thing with Medicare? Let's say you, David. Well, why can't we have a constitutional amendment? Like I said, there are a lot of things that can be done today, Sean. There's just not the political will. Uh, let's 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 go to something that I'm that you probably know a little bit more about than I. Uh, PBM reform. You know how to get rid of PBMs? Repeal a safe harbor that they have from the anti-kickback statute. Yeah. There, there's an anti-kickback statute. They were basically given a, a get out of jail free card to say, yeah, you guys can conduct kickbacks. You guys can have a model that's akin to the mafia. Go ahead and do that. And then they're going to complain about the cost of medication going through the roof. And I've right. had people say, well, David, what are we going to do about drug prices? Well, I've told you. Let's, let's start with this. Let's talk about the rebates. And the response, one of the responses, believe it or not, and I'm not going to tell you who said it, but was, you know, David, campaigns are expensive. <laughs> so 
there is there is no political will. If you can't even fix the rebate issue, you're sure not going to fix Medicare and Medicaid. Right, right. And and here's one of my things because I'm I'm a grassroots kind of problem solver myself. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you know if people want to fix healthcare, the first thing they got to do is they got to fix themselves. Right. And that's why it's number one in my first in my in my six step solution is people need to be proactive in their health. And number five actually is is that. Um, physicians and healthcare providers, they need to get out of the rat race. They need to stop being accessories to the crime and they need to have a direct relationship with their patient based on cash, not based on any insurance company. That's essentially what it'll fix itself, in my opinion. Direct primary care is a perfect example. You know, will Medicare and Medicaid always be there? I, you know, I'm an optimist. I'd love to get rid of it, but I don't know. But, you know, it might be. But uh, still, there's a workaround. And here's my opinion, David. Actually, this is fact. The free market always wins, mm-hmm. always eventually wins. So that's why I think one of the ways to get rid of PBMs is pharmacies. Pharmacies quit getting in bed with them and just start telling them, "No, we're not going. We're not going to be in bed with you." I mean, they're using pharmacies as a as a mechanism. Now, here's one of the issues with the anti kickback: is CVS owns their own PBMs. I mean. Right. Talk about a conflict of interest. I mean, holy smoke. That's exactly right. <laughs> so anyway. But it's, so. It's, it's, it's a challenge for every pharmacy, independent pharmacy to do that. It is. It, it's, you know, because uh, when you're the only game in town and your your patients rely on you providing them with a certain brand name, if you're not playing with the PBMs, you're not going to be able to help them. That's right. And, and, and in a lot of cases, they're just not able to keep the doors open. So, I, I really feel for a lot of those guys. Uh, they're they're stuck in the rat race. They literally are, and they don't want to have to go work for CVS or Walgreens. But a lot of them have gone to do that. Right. Um, right. You know, I'm thankful that DPC is 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 growing at the rate that it's growing. It needs to. And it needs to continue. And you see, people, well, the argument is, well, there are not enough primary care doctors that will adopt that model. I'm seeing a lot of specialists go into primary care because they see that this is. Uh, the way that medicine is going to be in the future. Yeah. And there are a lot of specialists. Definitely. That's what needed to happen is the primary care needed to to branch out and and do the DPC and then some specialists will follow. I think that's already happening. And, And here's one of the things too. I think it is the future. I mean, and it is now, um, because there are so many people, you know, in the corporate healthcare environment, when I mean physicians that are disenfranchised and just getting out of medicine totally. So it's either they do something like that or they get out of medicine totally. And here's what's interesting too, when you talk about there's not enough primary care doctors. I think what's interesting about that is I think when you look at it and being a hospital administrator, you might know this, but when you look at a DPC doctor that doesn't deal with insurance and stuff, how efficient they are compared Mm -hmm. with Uh, an in-house hospital doctor that is owned by the hospital, how inefficient that system is. So DPC doctors can take care of a lot more patients than a a doctor inside a hospital group. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Now, are they taking care of that many people in person? Probably not, but uh, they're still taking care of them. I, I, most of my relationship is online with my physician, but that doesn't mean I'm not getting the care that I need. Well, and what drove that? You know, the patient, the patient drove that, the free market drove that, and That's technology right. drove that. And of course, price drove that. That's okay. That's what happens in a free market. And, you know, I, I remember with this COVID thing last year, you know, these corporate environment doctors were bragging that they could do telehealth visits. Well, DPCs have been doing that for years. It's a primary staple of direct primary care is That's right. medicine. And, in, and the reason why, and, and many people may not know this. You know, you mentioned something earlier that a lot of people don't understand is, is we don't have a healthcare system. We have a sick care system, meaning that it's reactive. Do- the reason why a doctor doesn't text with you or email with you is because in order for them to get paid, they need to see the whites of your eyes okay. and have a diagnosis, which means you're there for something and what their treatment is going to be. With direct primary care, that's not necessary because you have a relationship with that doctor. You're paying him a subscription rate. He doesn't have to deal with codes. He or she doesn't have to deal right. with codes. It's not a. It's not about the coding system that has you know bastardized this industry thanks to the AMA. Yep. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's it's about you know what 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 are my goals? What do I want to achieve? And how is this person that I've decided to partner with? How are they going to impact my life and share with me information that I need? That's right. 
Amen, brother. <laughs> so, David, we're, as we wind this show up, um, I just have to ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, what drives you? What do you have a passion for? People. People. I like I told you, I I I did a lot of patient care. I've even as as an as an administrator or a CEO, if I you know, I would spend a lot of time uh, in the ER, in the OR, uh, you know, on the floors, and I would go meet with the patients because. Uh, you know, sitting behind a desk is not what I ever wanted to do. Uh, so I, I've, I've, I've held people's hands. I've seen the problems that they've had uh, with, with getting the care that they need. Uh, people with their, their, their newborns and they're sick and they don't know what to do. And it's their first child. And, you know, they're in the ER. And, um, you know, it, these are the stories that drive me. I'm thankful to have had the career that I've had. Um, being in the hospital, I, I loved it. I still do. I wish I was there. Uh, but my time is, is, is better served what I'm doing now uh, in, in trying to get some semblance of sanity back into that industry. And uh, I hope and pray that I can do that for the sake of what I feel that people really deserve. Well, I think you're making headway, David. Thank you so much for doing it. It's obvious you do have a passion for it. So... Yeah. So if anybody wants to get a hold of you or has questions, what's the best way to do that? Well, I'm, I'm pretty active on, uh, on Twitter. They can reach out to me at David Balot HC for healthcare, uh, D-A-V-I-D-B-A-L-A-T-H-C. That's on Twitter, right on healthcare. You can join us there. Please feel free. And uh, you can go to texaspolicy.com and uh, there's a way to get a hold of me on the website there. And that's where a lot of our publications, all of my publications will be there. So, uh, feel free to, to go there. We do have, uh, you know, you talked about the history of, of healthcare. We did do a research paper on, uh, it, it's, it's called a brief history of uh, government intervention in the healthcare industry. It's not very brief. It's about 28 pages, but it does talk about the, the wage freezes and how we have uh, health insurance functioning the way that we do today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're streaming some of your, uh, streaming some of your stuff. I hope people reach out to you because you are definitely an expert in this field on healthcare policy. And I appreciate you being on today, David. Thank you so much. You really achieved our goal of educate and empower consumers about healthcare. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I appreciate what you do as well. Yep. So hang on the line because I want to talk to you afterwards after we're not live anymore. And Tune in Thursday for our midweek podcast, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. We will have Dr. Ross Carter on, and he'll be talking about regenerative medicine and stem cell, stem cell therapy. So you don't want to miss out on that one. David, thank you for being on. Listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in today. I really appreciate you guys so much as this ever-growing podcast. So thank you so much for listening. 